0: Here we go Here we go Here we go, here we go, Here we go, here we go, this is
1: it! Nobody has ever officially told me I am banned from Sir James's Park. Sometimes, though, you know when you are not welcome, and it's almost a decade now since it became apparent that as far as the people at the top of Newcastle United are concerned, I will always be persona non grata, as long as the Mike Ashley regime remains in place. Welcome to this, part one, of the Keegan Odyssey, where we do a deep dive into the autobiography of Kevin Keegan, released quite recently, and My Life in Football... Is the name of it, but by God, it's a life that takes in football and so much else besides.
0: It does, doesn't it? It's an,
1: it's an understated title, if anything, isn't it, Sam?
0: Let's talk just briefly about <laughs> Kevin Keegan, the man. You say Come
1: let's on. talk briefly, but. No, before just, we...
0: just before we get really stuck in, let's <laughs> can just. I just can, can I just yep. say
1: that we've done some maths based on what we've got for this first episode, and we think this Keegan Odyssey could stretch. Theoretically, to sixty-six episodes.
0: (laughs) So, how many did we do in Roy Keane? That was that was seven, and that was Roy Keane's second book, right? So, it was only about half of his career, half his life. Didn't have his childhood. We will one day do the original one
1: in twenty twenty-one.
0: We originally thought we'd do two or three episodes on Roy Keane, and it stretched out because you know there was just so much content in there. But when you look at Kevin Keegan, first of all, this is this catalogues his entire life, right? It goes right back to his childhood in Doncaster up until the point that he eventually retires from football, football after, his, life. after his second spell at Newcastle, right? Uh, so there's a lot of ground to cover. He has had an extreme, a more eventful career than most players in the history mm. of the game. He played for a number of clubs. He had a, all, all sorts of adventures, both in his professional and personal life. Yep. He Before reading this book, what were your impressions of Kevin Keegan, Andy? Uh,
1: a vibrant... Uh, all of fun and energy and enthusiasm mm. his nickname used to be Mighty Mouse which I think yeah. just completely sums him up
0: yeah and really in this book it doesn't I wouldn't say it surprises you you don't end up thinking he was anything other you end up I would say loving him yeah because of the way he lives his life which is one of being positive and enthusiastic there is a genuine childlike quality which Mm. shines through in a lot of the anecdotes we're about to dive into (laughs) where he has a genuine and authentic kind of naivety that's very endearing yeah and he just you know at times people take advantage of him because of it but nothing ever makes him cynical the good, through good times and bads, he retains that sort of effervescence that uh, we know, and sometimes it spills over, like in the famous rant. But let me tell you, although a lot of you will be thinking, and he says in the book, he goes, a lot of younger people in the game, the younger fans, and so on, know me principally for the rant I did yeah. um, about Alex Ferguson That's in the nineties. He said, and you know, when I get asked to events and stuff, or people come up and ask for an autograph, goes one of the most common things is to, to for me to write, I would love it. in the the book and he said and sometimes I get invited on stage I go here he is the man most famous for the I would love it thing and he goes you know I've been I won European player of the year two years running in 78 and 79 I was you know I won every trophy in the game at Liverpool I'm probably remain the most successful Englishman to play abroad Mm -hmm. uh, ever And uh, won loads of caps for England, captained them several times. played in in the
1: pop charts. Played in the World Cup,
0: got in the pop charts and, you know, had actually, on reflection, a fucking good career in management. I mean, you know, we remember like, oh, he just fell short at Newcastle, but fuck me. That, you know, that was Newcastle. Newcastle before and since have been a team who, at best, aspired to mid-table mediocrity. He he took
1: them from practically the bottom of the second division
0: Yeah, and the, then
1: took them to the, and, and the top the, of the and, League. and let's
0: be honest here I don't think the Premier League have ever seen a team as exciting as his Newcastle team was in the 90s there's been better teams mm. many better teams there's been several United sides there's been the current City side there was Arsenal's Invincibles you know, Chelsea, there's been so many good teams, but in terms of the excitement, and you know, obviously, I'm conscious I'm talking to a Macamere. I'm just going to try
1: and put that inherent bias to one side. Don't yeah, worry. Beca- I'll because, be beca-
0: because, you know, everyone did, did feel like a Jordan. In the 90s, in the mid 90s, when I was a student, there was a sort of a collective thing where it felt, perhaps I was wrong, but it felt there was a moment where everyone you met anyone who wasn't a cunt you know (laughs) putting the cunts were on the sidelines in those days don't you think like in the 90s you know the cunts they're back now they've been back for the last 10-12 years but it's like they'd sort of like squirreled themselves away into a spider hole uh... and we thought that they'd gone and they didn't exist anymore. But, but they no. were just there. They were in golf clubs. Yeah. You know, wherever the fuck else they Even hang it's out. it's brought them fuck out, hasn't it? The, they've they've fucking they come out from nowhere. They didn't have a voice they were 20 emba- years ago. They, they were rightly embarrassed about themselves, yeah. and now they're not. But in the 90s, it was like everyone was into, you know, Oasis aren't a great band, really. I mean, depending on how you, no, how you, how, how you sort they're, of they're right. define greatness but everyone was into them because it just seemed like fun and everyone was into Kevin Keegan because it was fun and also perhaps more controversial than all those things everyone was into Tony Blair he wasn't (laughs) Prime Minister yet (laughs) but we'd all given up on Labour ever fucking winning power Yeah, and he seemed like a fucking good bloke who was going to actually become a Labour Prime Minister and those three things everyone was sort of into it
1: if Tony Blair was ever going to record a pop single it would probably be Head Over Heels the Kevin Keegan song so there's that link isn't there you can imagine Blair singing that can't you
0: or Head Over Heels, the Tears for Fears song. Either of them. Which a dub- he could a double do side. with Gordon Brown. <clears throat> yeah. Something happens and, and I'm head over heels. I never find out till I'm head, head over heels. heels. So Him and Gordon Brown doing that. Fucking lovely. The Tears for Fears of nice politics. Listen, I've been very clear about this. Gordon and I have withdrawn from frontline politics. And for the next two years, we are going on a world tour... <laughs> As a Tears for Fears cover band. (laughs) We're calling ourselves Queers for Fears. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're inclusive. Gordon and I have, of course, like any friendship, had our ups and downs. But this is the best way we think that we can go out there and say, yes, we have disagreed over things. Yes, we have not seen eye to eye. And remember, Gordon only has one eye, which is where a lot of his insecurities come from. Yes. But we remain friends and we remain committed to a progressive form of politics. And the best way for us to uh, express that to all of our fans, both here and abroad, is by forming Queers for Fears and going on tour.
1: We ourselves are not homosexuals, but during the show, (laughs) we will be showing a video behind us on the big screen, which will show um, gay animal uh (laughs) sucking, which we have acquired from the david attenborough library
0: (laughs) very kindly donated to us just a smidge of
1: footage, just a preview of what you can expect after david (laughs) by the
0: estate of david attenborough the attenborough estate um yeah so anyway that was the 90s keegan's newcastle was a big part of it let's get stuck into the book
1: well yeah so he's i started with the first paragraph there and then he talks about mike ashley and he says, the saddest thing is, I would not want to go back anywhere after everything that happened. Um, I will always be persona non grata as long mm. as the Mike Ashley regime remains in place. The only time I've made an exception came after an invitation to a private function at St James's Park one night when there was no football on. Mm. It was a leaving due for a lifelong Newcastle fan. My first response was to send my apologies and explain it would be impossible for me to attend. But uh, the guy was leaving for a new life in America and I knew everyone wanted me to be there for his send-off. I didn't want to let him down. And besides, he says, I've always loved a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) He goes on, I improvised. (laughs) I put on a pair of glasses. I found a flat cap and I turned up the collar on my overcoat to complete the disguise. (laughs) I found a quiet place to park my car, a safe distance from the ground. And then I walked in the back way, sticking to the shadows and avoiding eye contact with passers-by. <laughs> so this is, as you've mentioned before, this is the first of Kevin Keegan's disguises that he enjoys. One of the
0: biggest themes of this book is disguise, and that is one of the things that you discover. You don't, you know, some things you knew already and the book reaffirms them, some things you didn't know. Kevin Keegan regards himself, and these are his exact words, not mine, as a master of disguise he loves to dress up and this in the opening page of the book is just the first it's no it's no coincidence that he chooses to open the book with a quite detailed um anecdote about him using a disguise to enter st james's park a stadium that he had been banned from um the disguise stories by the way become more elaborate and outlandish as we go through the book
1: is there a separate chapter lists listing all his Top disguises, no, but there should incidents. be.
0: If you look in the index D for disguises, it's yeah. got the more entries than anything else. 10 pages yeah.
1: on its own, yeah. So, um, he says it was dark and nobody had recognized me until I made it to the stadium entrance. Then one of the staff came over straight away. Hello, Kevin, she said <laughs> with one of those lovely Jordy welcomes. What are you doing back here? My cover was blown. But at least it was a friendly face rather than being a, a hand being placed on my shoulder. As if Mike Ashley would get him thrown out into the street.
0: Yeah, I don't... I can't even... I think, you know, Kev, again, wanted to think of it that way. Do because think
1: Ashley stalks the corridors of St James's at night looking for intruders? Anyone seen, Ke- Anyone seen Keegan? Day 409. No <laughs> sign of Keegan. Still no sign of Keegan, but you can never relax.
0: He'll be back. With his disguises, he could be here right under my nose. I could be talking to him now. I, myself could be Kevin Keegan disguised as Mike Ashley <laughs> and not even realise it. That's how cunning he is. The bastard. <laughs> he learnt it off Bill Shankly, apparently. <laughs> uh, there's loads about Shankly. <laughs> he, he's, he, he goes on about, like, you know, um, he goes, the only other occasion I ventured to St James's Park was for the unveiling of Alan Shearer's statue. But, strictly speaking, that was on public land rather than yeah, the site of the stadium so itself. That was acceptable. And here's <laughs> the key, key line. That was, it was on public land rather than the site of the stadium itself. And nobody can stop me walking the streets of Newcastle. Well, nobody would stop he's me from right. doing that. I, I don't care. No one's going to stop me doing that. If I want to walk around Big Market night, I can say hello to all the fans. Yeah. I can do it.
1: He would do it. He wouldn't get more than 10 metres
0: because he'd be just engulfed. If I want to go on to that disco boat, you know, the one yeah. they've got down. Tuxedo Princess. Yeah. If I want to go on that, and uh, I think it was that one that had would a, it, a, a bucking bronco in it. Revolving dance floor. What's the one that has a bucking bronco in it? Um, I've been there once. Oh, uh,
1: it's not the boat, is it? It's on the
0: boat. Might have been on the boat.
1: That, I think that was a fad because there was a pub in Sunderland that had a book in Bronco for a while as well. Fucking great! I think I think the fads should come back because whenever fads generally generally what? fads because they're fads they, they don't, don't come, come back.
0: back. Well, listen, I'm gonna try and Bring start back all the fads. a chain. Of '90s themed bars <laughs> called Kev's Place, yeah. right? And they're, they're all going to have bucking broncos. They're going to serve Caffreys and hooch, yeah. right? Do
1: this? Do, do are the girls that go around selling shots? Yeah, at the bottom. Yeah. I think they're still around. They'll be, be.
0: Yeah, but the girls will be like in bikinis because in the '90s yeah. that was just normal. Yeah, it was. And uh, yeah. and we just said it was ironic, so it was all it was. right. Your yeah. girlfriend didn't leave you. For yeah. for indulging in that sort of sexism because no, no, no. everyone right. had convinced themselves that it was Cheeky ironic. Wink. Yeah, come on, don't be like that. sweet. Oh, it's just a bit of fun. I just slap that cigarette bird on the ass. It's
1: equality, to... isn't it? It's what they want.
0: They there was girls who'd come around in my local pub selling fags, and they're very right. beautiful. And they'd come around, they'd sell you fags at discount price. Literally, it was like jug pushing. And I was a, you know, like I was fucking eighteen or seventeen or some bullshit. What a cunt! And she's like, <laughs> she's come round and she's just doing her fucking job. And I pissed, started sort of lecturing her because I didn't smoke. Right. I was like, this is fucking madness. You're drug pushing. That's what you're doing for a living. You're going around here, going up to young kids who don't smoke yet and yeah. offering them discount fags. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? She was like rolling her eyes going, Mate, I'm just trying to fucking earn a living. Yeah. Who's the cunt in that story? That's it's right. You. Delaney.
1: <laughs> Yet again Delaney. I, I should have been Young trying to, I
0: should have been trying to fucking chat her up, make her feel good about herself and instead I'm fucking lecturing her about the dangers <laughs> of fucking nicotine. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
1: This feels like two series of podcasts that we could spin off here. The first one is called Fadcast, yep. which is all about fads
0: that we should from bring the back. past
1: that we want to bring back. And the yep. secondly we're just going to call Young Delaney, <laughs> The
0: Adventures of Young Delaney. The
1: of young Delaney, be a bit like Dick Turpin. You'll start off with the first episode age 6 in fancy dresses Dick but, Turpin. But
0: listen, I'm not always the cunt in the stories when I'm a kid, but I am sometimes where I am. Where I am the cunt, yeah. Oh, Very often, I'm the victim of cuntishness. We'll call it Young Delaney, the cunt. No, th- you yes! got it all wrong. <laughs> I'm the fucking victim. What about when I got stuck up on that fence? I was the victim. What about when my mate put all those t- sandwiches down the loo? I was the victim. Yeah, you again, were embroiled in it all, though. Again and th- again, I'm the victim.
1: You were the and architect of your own downfall, and if, I'm,
0: and if I made mistakes, like tricking Matthew Jenkins into shitting out of a tree, yeah. right, or you know lecturing that fag selling bird yeah, yeah. on the danger of yeah. nicotine yeah I made mistakes do you know why why because I was damaged do you know I was damaged because I've been the victim so many times I tell you what's the not... abused abuse
1: shall I tell you what's not a fad what karma
0: fucking think about out. that young Delaney anyway listen I'm bringing a 90s fucking bar it's going to have Bucking Broncos Caffrey's Hooch there's going to be Oasis music <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be fucking Tony Blair speeches up on the big screen <laughs> Right, it's going to be fucking sensational. I'm going to wear a wig of what my hair was like in the 90s, which Pl- was a proper 90s brick pop we haircut. Well,
1: we have plant cocksuck in videos That wasn't a no?
0: 90s thing. That's, good though, that's the good thing. Fu- that's another bar that I'm doing, which is the future theme That could bar. be the chill out room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah what else could happen in the 90s yeah, yeah they're just sex the there'd be a lot of people wearing newcastle shirts yeah 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 i think it's I, honestly i'm not joking i think people would go for that but anyway that's another story for another podcast
1: Jalapeno. here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states Jalapeño. What happens next? Well, we're still, we've still got the Alan Shearer statue to be unveiled. Uh, on public land, uh, the Newcastle regime didn't put a penny in. Uh, the city council found a plot of land in the shadow of the Milburn stand, he says. And he says, it's also very sad. Uh, Freddie Shepherd, the former chairman, his family appeared for the statue. And uh, Newcastle didn't even put a few sentences on the club website. And plainly, it was too arduous for anybody from the club to walk the thirty yards up Barrack Road yeah. to attend the unveiling. It's a, a rogue statue, isn't it? An unofficial statue.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: Yeah, it's good, and because um, of course Shearer's pretty. He's not persona non grata because he managed there for a while under Mike Ashley.
0: But, but he didn't but like the manager. Shearer
1: is very vocal and very critical publicly. Mm. Of yeah. the rear shame sort that you
0: know, there's a tension. They there. were never gonna put it up. They're idiots. I mean they're complete fucking idiots.
1: I look forward to the day when Ashley's gone and that statue can be removed and put... From calls, public land
0: and put uh, in put,
1: within, put it in the middle of the pitch. Uh, why not? Put it up front.
0: Yeah. Just <laughs> fucking bounce balls in, Just put the crosses in. If you get them at the right angle, they're gonna bounce in off of that big owl's head.
1: Get the apprentices to shift it from one half of the pitch yeah. to the other at half time.
0: Yeah, you're I think you're probably allowed <clears> to do that. Um, he, when he's talking about the Newcastle Stadium, you know, and he goes, you know, I rem- it's re- re- it was really great. Now it's this huge stadium. He goes, but I remember what it was like when I was first playing there. Banks of rough, hard faced terracing behind the goals, yeah. with police cells in the corner, four spindly floodlights, and barbed wire on the perimeter walls. Sounds like a fucking prisoner of war camp, doesn't <laughs> it? Sounds like Tenko, right? We didn't have a roof at either end. It rained so hard that sometimes a puddle the size of a small lagoon would form by the side of the pitch. Yeah. I can still remember the game against Sunderland when a duck came down to splash around uh, beside the plane surface. Don't, <laughs> don't believe that, Kevin. Yeah, I didn't know. Le- a little mean. duck came along. We- me and Terry Mack Matt- Mac used to bring along bread specially and feed them. We'd stop, the- and uh, the other lads would say, what are you doing? The game's happening right now. And I'd go, but look at them, they're lovely. <laughs> And I'd stop and feed it a little bit of bread, and so would Terry him, Mac.
1: I used to call him Captain Beaky. <laughs> I mean, I'd say, hey, Terry Mac, Terry Mac, look, Beaky's <laughs> <Yeah>. back.
0: <laughs> and we'd stop the game and feed them. But then we found out all too late that actually it's dangerous for a duck's stomach to give him some blessed white bread. You can't give him bread. it inflated into a big ball of dough in its head, and a duck died. It exploded during a uh, League Cup game against West Bromwich Albion. <laughs> I was ever so upset, but I did end up scoring a header in the 89th minute, so that made up for it.
1: The referee wanted to abandon it because of the exploded duck, but I said, no, we'll play on. It's what Beaky would have (laughs) wanted.
0: Out of respect for Beaky. Um, Then he goes, "Uh, this is really funny, right? Nor have I forgotten when the Cranes arrived to start the transformation into what is now 52,000 capacity stadium and only in Newcastle. Mm. And this really is... When he wrote the line, only in Newcastle, I became annoyed because I thought... Fucking people, the football kind of fraternity, the football broadcasting journalists, they've got this thing about Newcastle, they'll go Newcastle, that's really? the another annoying thing, you know, like, so you'll have southern noticed, journalists always go yeah. Newcastle, right. they love their football up here in Newcastle, yeah. as if the people of other towns like Luton, yeah. or fucking Stoke, yeah. or Bristol, don't quite love their football as much, yeah, they don't, do you know what I mean, and then know. they go, they love their football up here, yeah, they love and, and then they always go, these people are Newcastle, they work all week, and again, you sort of think, <laughs> do the people of Manchester not work all week? Do the people of mm-hmm. London not work all week? Do the people of... Go to any fucking town. Exeter City. There's people who fucking work all week and then go to the... Are they saying that the Geordies work harder?
1: They work smarter. <laughs> well,
0: and that conserve means... They
1: serve their energy so they can support more when it comes to a Saturday. Well, anyway, right...
0: So I thought, oh, this is annoying. This is going to be bad. But turns out he's right because he says only in Newcastle. And this is something that I haven't, can't imagine other fans doing. So supporters took picnics to Lees's Park just behind the ground to watch the new stand going up. They would spend their entire day in their camping chairs with their rugs, their flasks of tea <laughs> and packed lunches. Then the following morning, they'd be back Should again. Should they not
1: have been at work?
0: Fucking hell, I thought they are supposed to be hard working. Make your mind up. Oh, they they work hard all week. You're also living in, like, fucking D.H. Lawrence times or something. (laughs) Like, yeah, they're working, mate. But even in the 90s, they weren't working in the fucking factories or coal mines. (laughs) That had all been fucking sold off. They're working in fucking Dixons or a call (laughs) centre. So don't make out they're all coming here with coal on their face and a fucking helmet on. Boss, boss,
1: can I get two weeks off next month? (laughs) Aye, <laughs> right, where are you going? Like, you going to Lanzarote or Ibiza or somewhere like that? No, <laughs> I'm going to Leasers Park. We're yeah. going to take some picnics and watch them put the new
0: stand up. It, it, fucking amazing. That is what they did. They either didn't have jobs or they took time off work to sit <laughs> in a fucking park with a picnic watching some cranes build a fucking stadium. Hey, I look, mean, hey, what the fuck is going on in your head?
1: Hey, Tony, Tony, come over here. Just move your head to the left there. Look through that gap just where they was putting the stand-up can you see there in the corner just that, no a bit further back that's where Beattie's head exploded in the <laughs> cup match. you remember
0: no i sent a letter we're starting a petition so they make a fucking statue of Beattie so we can all remember him like I mean they've done one of the fucking Jackie Milburn Beattie's has gotta be as much of a legend as him
1: Mike Ashley says he's having nothing to do with it well, as soon as we get him out of this club, I tell you, Beatty's gone up there with Bobby Robson. said. It's fine, and anyway. Hilbert, and the we'll ca- move that Shearer one the, and council- on. the councillor
0: said we can do one of Beattie on public land up the road. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. So, anyway, that's uh, that's his memories of the ground. Um. He, what happens next Next, to him? the
1: next thing I've got on our list here it's he, quite good he, he talks about the uh, England job because this is the first chapter it's kind of an overview he does of an sort of overview thing, of
0: everything he? that's to come
1: yeah he says uh, he talks about it he says um, it was my 18 months as manager that hurt me deeply I'm not the only man who's tried and failed to restore England's reputation It can't be a mere instance that football men of the quality of Ron Greenwood, Don Revy, Graham Taylor Fabio Capello and Roy Hodgson. there's a bit of a mixed bag of a list there have been obliged to leave with the brand of loser, yet I was not going to make excuses. It was a step too far for me, and the truth, as hard as it was for me to accept, was that i wasn't up to it mm. and I think that's another thing about Keegan that's really admirable that he's he's unfeelingly honest he's super honest, honest and he
0: earns his and he owns any failures mm. or any mishaps in his career i mean you could also you could almost say that Kevin Keegan probably thinks worse of himself than he should do
1: It's hard on himself because
0: what he's saying there is a lot of England managers struggle it's a tough job and ultimately it comes down to the cards you're dealt when you're England manager some managers take a team on when there's not a good group of players to choose from or maybe a good team has started to get old or whatever and Keegan proved at club level he's good manager Uh, he he he. could build a team so he told himself he he relies entirely on adrenaline and enthusiasm and when that dips which does in any man even Kevin Keegan you have to have reserves of self-belief but if you don't if you can only operate when the adrenaline's flowing through you as soon as that drops because that's it you just think oh well I'm shit anyway I don't think he's as shit as he reckon and I think if he'd had the stomach he could have stuck around and maybe he would have done alright with England but it doesn't really matter because he he wasn't happy. He talks about, he's extremely honest about everything. He talks about his playing career and how he won the European Player of the Year two years running and all the other things he won. And he says, the thing was about me was I wasn't even that good. Mm. he goes I was not you know there was players who I played with at Scunthorpe who I envied the touch of who I thought I'll never be as good as them look at the touch and technique they have it's miles better than mine he goes but what I did was I just worked hard and he was always told he was rejected by 101 clubs when he was young for being too small so what he did was he worked three times as hard as any other player to make himself good he goes I worked slavishly to maximise what I did have I wasn't big but I scored goals in my head I was fast but I made myself faster and if I had a weakness, I worked on it until it became strength. And here's the line that I like. I was the mongrel who made it to crafts.
1: <laughs> There's kind of um, a lot of parallels between Keegan and, and Roy Keane in that sense of they didn't have a lot of almost like natural ability, but they worked hard and they were dedicated and they yeah. got there through sheer willpower mm. and just that relentless graft.
0: And they became world-class players. Yeah. They're both world-class players. Yeah. And well class um, men And world class men But in different ways I can't imagine them <laughs> Getting on uh, But at the same time I can't imagine them Not getting on Because I think Roy Who is an extremely Harsh judge yeah. Would respect Keegan Probably Because he'd think he's He'd respect his work ethic
1: And Keegan would have Loved to have had Keen In his team Oh yeah Because he bought David Batty But David Batty like, To rest-
0: play in that Keen role yeah. But Keen was so much more Yeah He was multi-dimensional He
1: on Keen, I imagine But <clears throat> yeah. when he a Batty
0: he said um, what what he liked to do was uh, work his backside off, chase every single ball down. Yeah. He said, Bill Shankly has always put it best. By, by the way, his book is dedicated to Shanks oh, right. and his wife. All oh, right, right. Um, Shankly is very much the guy who he feels he owes everything to.
1: A bit like Keane with Clough.
0: Yeah, he says, he'd see me causing havoc among opposition defences. And Bill would say... He was like that I was a weasel after rats, always biting and snapping at your legs. I he's like, like a man. weasel
1: after <laughs> rats. <laughs> always biting and snapping at your legs. Keegan, that lad,
0: he's like a weasel, a weasel after rats.
1: It's another great Scottish line, that isn't it? Like yeah. Ferguson and Ryan Giggs. Yeah, yeah. He was like a spaniel. a cock a spaniel, chasing a silver paper on the wind. But
0: they always like, Scottish managers can only see players through the prism of animals. <laughs> animals. Yeah,
1: animals doing stuff.
0: When they speak to scouts, <laughs> yeah. they're like, "Yeah, I've checked out that player, boss. The one who you asked me to go and watch in France, he's playing for Nice. He's 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 good. I think he's a solid fullback. He's got good technique. He's good in he's strong in a tackle, but he's also not bad going forward." Aye, 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 aye. What animal would you compare him to? What? What, boss? <laughs> What's it? Is he like a weasel or more like a wee dog? Um, I I don't know dog what breed are we talking Labrador all big and licky and cuddly or are we talking more of a Jack Russell yapping about but not too much hair on the furniture or maybe he's a mongrel a mongrel who made it to Crufts (laughs) now we've established that what's he like as a mongrel what's he doing is he chasing a piece of silver paper in the wind?
1: Does he beg for dinner at the <laughs> dinner table? Does he beg for scraps?
0: <laughs>
1: Does he go out in the morning and then come back at night and no one knows where he goes?
0: Is he like one of those dogs you see who's got an itch in his ass and the only way he can relieve himself is to drag himself across the glass <laughs> losing his front paws only to rob that itchy <laughs> arsehole? Have you seen that, have you? Is that what he's like? Does he try and hump your kids? <laughs> is he one of them I need a player like that that's what this team needs (laughs) <laughs> and then you just learn, if you're working for Shanks or Ferguson yeah. or any of those legends, that that's how you have to put your scouting reports together. <laughs> or
1: he'll give you what he wants. Yeah, if not, the, you have to sit in a room him with him.
0: An exactly, you should just write it and send it to him. And <laughs> if, if necessary, put a picture of the animal you're comparing it to. Because <laughs> if not, you'll get in a room with him and you have to listen for a long time with him describing different animals doing strange things.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Is it like a orangutan? Yeah. <laughs> He's like peeling a banana with his feet and then throwing his feces around.
1: Is he like a Venus flytrap? <laughs> if he could suck off an animal, what kind of animal would he suck off? <laughs>
0: that and was, would
1: the animal like it?
0: That was the conversation between Alex Ferguson and his chief scout when he was signing Juan Sebastian Varon. <laughs> Brian Kidd came in. Yeah. I've had the once-over. I've been over to Italy. I've had the once-over on uh, this Varon character. I think he could do a job for us, boss. Brian, let me ask you something. Have you ever seen have a Venus, question. Have you ever seen a Venus flytrap <laughs> suck off an animal? No, boss. I can't say I have. Well, I fucking have, and that's how I see Juan Sebastian Veron fitting into our midfield of this great club. Now, can you see that? Can you see it happening? I don't quite know what you're asking me, boss. It's very simple, Brian. Answer the fucking question, or you're out, and I'm getting queer us in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Whereas it's very offy (laughs) with the oral sex techniques of the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. He's from Portugal, they're very easy going over there. It's time for you to buck up Brian, time for you to shape up or ship out. Football is evolving and we have to go with it. So we've got a Venus flytrap and we've got an ape or we've got a cat. (laughs)
0: <laughs> a oh, domestic got... cat brain not a big cat don't be fucking stupid. Oh, we've got a
1: rescue donkey. <laughs> Which is it? Which is Baron?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but Keegan just uh, relied much more on gut instinct.
1: Uh, yeah, of course he did. That's pretty much all we've got time for for this first episode of the Keegan uh the Keegan Odyssey. Uh we didn't quite make it to I I've
0: I, I think you should play us out Andy just on this bit that you correctly identified this morning um, about him becoming a freeman of the we'll, city. We'll,
1: we'll just set it up for the next episode. Okay. We'll, just, we'll, we'll just talk about what it is. Uh, shall I read the passage?
0: Read the passage and we will dive deeper in episode two. Okay.
1: I've been fortunate to win many awards and it was on my watch just after our promotion to the Premier League in 1993 that Newcastle United were made honorary freeman of the city, which apparently gave me all sorts of rights such as being allowed to keep a cow on the town moor. It doesn't get much better than that. Alan Shearer was honoured the same way a few years later, and I've told my former player he can put two cows on there if he likes, because I'm not using mine. There we are. More on that in episode two of the Keegan Odyssey.
0: Thanks for listening. This is going to go deeper, deeper than any of us can ever imagine, so grab your oxygen tanks and (laughs) and know that this story, you've only had a brief taste of it. It's going to get much more flavourful as the weeks go by. Bye-bye.